everybody, this is Ramli. I'm excited to chat here with Chasel. She's going to be talking all about product like growth, but particularly for what's happening with what's in the, in the pandemic and how product like growth companies are actually thriving. Companies like Zoom. How's it going, Chas? How are things with you? Things are going well uh, here in London. <laughs> and your background is you're a VC, you're also a professor, you're a runner, you're doing a lot, you're doing a lot of stuff like maybe for our listeners, just to give context of conversation. Can you tell a little bit about what you do for work and also what you do for fun? Sure, uh, sure. Yes, I am a partner at uh, Notion, Notion Capital, based in London. It's a VC firm here called Notion as the note taking up. Basically, they took our brand. Uh, basically, they did stolen it in a very uh, damaging way. So now we are Notion Capital. We were just Notion, but we, we had to move a little bit from that. And uh, we are investing in B2B SaaS businesses across Europe. We've been doing this for 10 years now. We are now investing from our fourth fund, which is um, a 150 million fund. We usually invest in Trisa. We've invested in 60 companies. Mm. And we we are sector agnostic, but um, for whatever reason, we've been pretty successful in uh, fintech. So we are investors in TradeShift or GoCarless and Currency Cloud, mm. even though we've really invested in, in many different uh, verticals. Yeah. And so prior to that, well, I also right now I, I teach, as you said, yes, mm. I teach at uh, UCL, the University College London, not UCLA. For those <laughs> who are listening from the US, the University College London, which is uh, the biggest university in London, has around uh, a little bit less than 25,000 students in oh. central London as a main campus. So I teach entrepreneurial finance there every Friday, uh, not every Friday, but many of the Friday afternoons to engineering school and to the master's in entrepreneurship. Mm. And, um, and in my free time, if I have any free time, yeah, I, I'm a big runner. I love any type of exercise since I run, swim, box, cycle, wow. um, and spinning and whatever. I, I do literally everything. I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. That's really fascinating. I put down a question just to warm things up. And you mentioned a lot of the stuff that you talked about. Uh, when we were chatting, you said that you describe yourself as a fitness freak with all that stuff that you're doing. But I'm curious if you had to pick one physical activity that you can do for the rest of your life. And maybe it's going to be tough for you. Which one would that one physical activity be? So You know what? You're not the first person who asked me this question because oh, really? I do so many different things. <laughs> and people are like, oh my God, you, you literally try everything, right? <laughs> so in fact, I'm a big runner and I'm a fast runner. Interesting. Uh, naturally, my body is really good for running. But uh, however, if I need to choose one, I would probably choose spinning, indoor cycling, which is something that you can do every day. It's rain, there's sand, whatever it is, you can do it. It's very low impact. You can push yourself very, very hard. Mm. So the workout sure. is very good, but it is very low impact. So you don't put your knees and hips into, into positions or into risk, I would say, mm. right? And if you want me, I can also tell you a secret. And okay. Yeah, I love secrets. <laughs> this secret is in fact that I am a, in fact a spinning instructor. Oh, so cool. I teach a spinning on uh, a Friday morning, 6.45 wow. before I go to work. <laughs> and um, 
I love my music, so I just uh, really love it. So if anybody comes around London and uh, wants to join a spinning class Friday morning, please drop me a line <laughs> and I would love to have you around. It's yes. a great way to start the day. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. Really cool. I, if I'm ever in London when all of this is over, I'd love to do that. I want to shift gears and you know really talk about this article that you wrote that really when West Red is like, remember, you got to get Chas on, on the show you talked about how product-led growth strategies really help companies like Zoom endure crisis like pandemic. Yeah, let's dig into that article. The first thing is like you discuss what product-led really means. And I think that's the problem with like terms getting famous or getting picked up is that there's a lot of misconception about it. But you know, let, let's clear the air there. And I'm curious what your definition of product-led is. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. I think there are many different definitions, but I would say product-led growth refers to a go-to-market strategy, which mm. is led by the product, right? So myself or Notion, we are a B2B SaaS investor. We've been investing in B2B SaaS for 10 years. And for us, that means that product-led go-to-market strategies are a different way to sell SaaS, different from the marketing and sales enterprise sales, traditional sales, right? So I would define definitely product-led growth as a go-to-market strategy that uses the product as a way to engage and activate with customers. And that results eventually on the growth of the top-line revenue, right? Mm, yeah, that totally makes sense. That's exactly how I see it as well. In that same article, I love how you put it, but you talked about like different keys of success to implementing a great product-led strategy because, you know, companies can just like, oh, I'm just going to release this free trial and that's it. I'm going to release this free version of my product and that's it. But you really did talk about this bottom-up approach. What are those keys to success to implementing product-led? Yeah, that's a very good point. And I have a couple of examples that we can go mm. through later because I think being creative in the way mm. you are approaching your customers with the free products, it is very, very important, right? So we refer to the bottom-up approach because we are ultimately allowing employees to use the product, to test the product, and even in many cases to buy those products themselves, right? And once they evangelize the, the idea of having that product, not only by themselves, but also in the team, then maybe you can even sell enterprise deals to them and so on, right? So it's bottom-up because in many cases, you don't need a manager to make mm. a decision on that, right? Uh, you don't need a long procurement process to go through. So that's why I call it a bottom-up approach. And, and it is not only about providing a free version of the product. And if you want, I can give you an yeah. example uh, of a company. For example, I invested in a company called ULife, uh, which is one of the ones that I mentioned in the article, right? Um, and ULife, it is a life insurance product. It's a B2B life insurance product, which basically allows, is helping employees be healthier and happier ultimately, right? Very mm. much related to my lifestyle, but every other employee gets an app and you can track your steps and count your mindfulness or meditation minutes. And with that, you get what they are called U-coins. And then you can redeem those U-coins in a marketplace, which are basically Nike or Amazon, or you can buy products with those uh, U-coins, right? 
So the interesting part and the how the product-led growth is embedded in this strategy is that in reality, the company is selling through through sales, traditional sales to businesses. Now, when the businesses have the product, they can onboard their whole families through mm, the app. So they can sell through the app additional policies to onboard their families. And they can also buy different products on top of the ones that they are offering, which means that the product itself goes to market with a sales approach. And then the upsell, the expansion, what we call the net retention rate, happens through a product-led strategy. So it's a B2B2C, and that growth in the C happens through a product-led approach, which means that you can be very creative. And it's not only about providing a free product, but rather how do you make those users love that product and Mm. then buy more because they love that product. Mm. I love that example. That's a great B2B2C example. Are there examples or is it possible for a company to be product-led and not have uh, free or free trial? I'm curious because you know some people say superhuman. Superhuman, you need to fill out a form to try out the product. You need to talk, you actually need to talk to somebody to try out the product. I think they're, you know, they're really le- still leading with the product, even though they do require that human touch in the beginning. What are your thoughts on that? Is it a requirement to have a free or free trial to be product-led? I honestly don't think so. Mm. You need to allow your customers to use and to try your product. It's not necessarily need to be a free version of that product, but you need to, I think uh, one of the ideas is that I think many times I like to find entrepreneurs who think beyond the traditional and the most common ways to let customers use the product. And for that, in fact, we are right now thinking of product-led strategies because we are thinking of organizations that, as we say, they are very focused on the product as a mean to increase their revenue. So if those founders are so focused on the product, by all means, they should be also able to understand the user journey Mm. and identify ways in which they can interact within that user journey that it not, doesn't need to be only at the very beginning, but different triggers within that process that can allow them to upsell and to grow from within the product, which is not only through new seats, for example, mm. right? Yeah. So thinking beyond that, I love to find founders who do that because that is exactly when I feel that the founder is product-led and understands, mm. in fact, the user journey. Because I can be a product-led founder and I have no idea how my users are really interacting and engaging with my product, right? I really need to look at those metrics. Yeah, let's talk about that. I was just going to talk about metrics. Like, you know, you meet a founder, you obviously want to talk about the metrics that they have. What kind of metrics are you looking for for product-led companies to to see how healthy it is or how investable it is now you're putting on your, your VC hat? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely the one that we just mentioned around the founder and trying to understand where are they going with the product strategy and the growth within that product roadmap. So the product roadmap should be based 
on strategically on how that customer can keep interacting and growing with that product. So I want to feel that from the founder. But in terms of metrics, obviously, I'm a SaaS investor. So I look at many of the typical metrics, obviously the ARR, the growth, and so on. But um, in product-led growth, we pay much more attention to metrics like the net retention rate, right? So which really determines how much your customers love you and grow within the product, right? Represents that expansion. We really look at time to value. Mm. Because you can't let your customers use, or your users use a product and not be able to grasp that value in a very short period of time. Because we are, consumers or users, we are very impatient. Mm. And we have certain time that we dedicate to explore something. So time to value is very important too, right? Obviously, the average revenue per user, the potential to grow from that. The charm is super important. Interesting. Super, super important in two different ways, right? Because the charm, one is either they don't like your product, which is not good, that's bad. But I think what is even worse is when we are spending money on attracting some customers to marketing and then we lose those customers. Mm, that yeah. we are paying for the customer and we are losing them, right? So one of the metrics and some of the metrics that we really look at are those ones related to the ROI, the return on investment per customer acquisition channel. So what mm. are the different channels that we use? What is the ROI? And which of those channels are providing the healthiest customers? Basically, the longest Lifetime value, the highest revenue per customer, the highest net retention rate that I just mentioned. And fourth, that I didn't mention, but I wanted to mention here, is basically looking at virality. How Mm, many of these people who really love you tell other people about the product? And in fact, what are the mechanisms, and I go back to the product, what are the mechanisms and the different elements within the product that you have put in place so that that user is inviting other users mm. to the product. And how are you doing that proactively? Those are the things that I very much look at, right? Mm. I love that virality piece because, you know, often product-led, when you're really, really leading with product-led, your price point is typically a little bit lower. So you don't have unlimited budget to spend on on ads or uh, have a sales team to really like double down on it. What kind of virality stuff do you look at? You know, you talked about the trigger pieces, but like, is there any one that comes to mind that really like, oh, wow, they really thought about this virality piece and they've added that into the part of the user journey? I think there have been several cases in the past and I think uh, some companies do it pretty well where they basically use within the product, they have well-embedded referral codes to invite people within their teams to use the product with them. Obviously, virality, if you are working on the contract space, contract signature space, and you send contracts or in the online communication space, and you invite somebody else to communicate with you, those naturally have a viral effect. There are other companies which don't. But that doesn't mean you cannot build it into the product. And so those embedding elements within the product that allowed individuals to grant and to offer access to somebody else because 
naturally we humans we want to invite our friends and we yeah. want to be part of, if we love something, we want our friends to know about it, right? Mm. And so people are willing to share it, but you need to give them the tools to do it. Mm. That totally makes sense. You're right. The other metric that I'm really curious about is you said the time to value. And that's a big piece about product, right? It's like when there isn't that person who is like guiding you to the value where you would see in a sales site where they would have somebody from sales or customer success to walk you through that. You don't have that in product life. It's usually self-serve. And this might be a benchmark, but what is a good time to value? Like, is it one day? And it probably depends on the product, but like, what are you looking at to say, this founder knows their time to value and this one really, they haven't figured this out. They really haven't figured out their time to value and optimized it. I think you need to take that user through that uh aha moment during the first time they are using the product. It's not mm, one day. Interesting. In the moment they leave that product, they forgot about it. Oh. Unless they go through that aha moment already. Mm. And so that is the time you need to ca- capture them. During the first time they are trying the product, you should show them already small things that they could do that they are like, aha, this is even better than what we had. Because let's remember that product-led growth has gotten stronger because the market, I mean, in SaaS in general, it's very crowded. Yeah. It is very crowded. So right now, many of the SaaS products that are coming out are competing with existing products already. Mm. And those existing products might not be as good as the new ones, but you are replacing in many cases. and. Maybe your product is better, but uh, it requires them to change integrations, move data, which is not easy to do in a big uh, organization, right? So then the product-led strategy allows them to try it. Mm. And if you take them to that aha moment right away, they will realize it's much better than their product. Mm. And so it is when they will start using it and then you can start capturing them because then you need to understand the whole user journey and start capturing them in different times of that user journey so that you keep engaged with them. But if you don't show a little bit of value on that first trial, then you probably lost them or many of them. Mm, yeah, that's exactly how I, I see it. People have short attention span, like you said, right? Like, funny how you put it, like once people leave, they probably already forgot about you. Absolutely, absolutely. And they, they have other 10 products coming yeah. in, right? You just need to open LinkedIn and go through there. <laughs> That's so good. That's so true. Yeah. I want to shift gears and jump back to that article that you wrote. You talked about how product-led companies are really thriving during the pandemic. I'm curious why that is. Like, It could be because you know people, because of the what's happening in the economy, They've become, you know, that's likely to buy a purchase thing. So they're willing to try out first. Like, what are your thoughts on why product led is really thriving during this time period? Yes, um, absolutely. So the reason we just mentioned about tying product, definitely uh, an interesting uh, point. But if we think about a pandemic or a crisis like COVID, right? Many organizations have been forced to move to the cloud and mm. to start operating remotely. And literally, 
they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to move their data to the cloud. They were basically running most of their operations on premises. And suddenly they were forced, right? So which means that that is going to really benefit many of the, our startups. Because one, they are going to start consuming much more SaaS. They mm. are going to start looking for products that can really help them support their operations on the cloud, which before they were like, hey, we are on premises until we move to the cloud. Don't talk to me. And this is maybe not going to happen in the next couple of years. Those are many banks, retail companies, like many, I mean, we live in this little cloud bubble, but in reality, the market is huge, right? And, and there are many of those businesses. So that is going to benefit SaaS because many more large corporations are going to stop buying SaaS. And if you think about it, many of them are going to be at their places. So the procurement process and the velocity that they mm. need to implement those, it has increased because mm. they need to do something in fact. And they need to integrate and they need to start buying much faster. So before the long procurement processes were unreasonable for many of our startups, where right now they are going to finally benefit from that, right? I would say in the future. So fast and cloud solutions have just started to grow, right? If we think of product-led go-to-market strategies, what though all these companies can do right now is they can, in fact, test the product by themselves remotely at home. And they can basically start using them. They can buy them with their credit card. Yeah. They can invite their colleagues to work on them. And they have much more capacity to do that. While the first, the longest processes, the longer processes, the sales processes are going to be slowed down in some cases because they are remote and so on, while people will yeah. start solving their own problem right. by buying more products that solve their problems, right? They need to communicate. They need to manage their data. They need to analyze their data. And so all of that is going to be, um, they need to manage their employees, their absence. Okay, we are yeah. HR, what do we need? Okay, mm. all these tools that we can buy for our team that in the future, they will become Absolutely, they will stay within the companies. And so product-led growth or product-led strategies will allow companies to use those products, to buy their products, mm. and they will reach the market. It's a good entry to the market. Yeah, that's totally great point. That is something that a trend that we're seeing now, and I think it will continue to future, which leads to the question of what do you see as the future for product-led? Like, particularly for, should enterprise really be <laughs> thinking about releasing some kind of adopting product late or like, you know, what is your advice, right? Your, your world is probably like startups and like, you know, funding like small to medium companies with founders, but there are also enterprise. What are your advice to enterprise? Is product late going to disrupt their lunch? Should they launch a product led product or like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, I guess you are referring if those big, large organizations yeah. are going to be very so, in fact, prior to Notion, I worked for Microsoft. Okay. So, I, I ran, I launched, and I ran Microsoft Ventures M12 in Europe. Obviously, I joined Microsoft on the way up, and I'm very proud for having worked for, for Microsoft and for Satya. 
in the CEO of the company because, as you know, he's transforming the company. Mm. But transforming the company doesn't mean <laughs> building a product-led <laughs> organization. Obviously, being product-led, and as we discussed before, being product-led just doesn't mean offering a free product, mm. right? It's not that. Being product-led means everyone within the organization is structured and aligned and has a strategy and KPIs which are related to the product as a mean to reach that revenue target. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean this is a premium thing mm. and suddenly we are product-led growth and we have these three years. We call you to onboard you, but still we are product-led, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't think large organizations are going to be able to change. And I don't know if everybody needs to either mm. be transforming a product-led growth strategy principles. I mean, you can be a very successful business and an enterprise sales go-to-market. This is just a different go-to-market strategy, right? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I want to shift gears one final time and start wrapping up. You know, we talked a lot of, about different things about product-led, but and we talked about metrics. We, we talked about the future of product-led. If you had to give one or two pieces of advice to product-led founders or product-led marketers or people working in product-led, what would your advice be to them who are listening right now? Yeah. Obviously, I might sound like too basic, but uh, to be product-led, you need to focus on the product. <laughs> and you really need to have an amazing product. Mm. Because your customers are going to try your product. And unless you show them value that first time, they are using the product, they are gone. So I always give the example of myself as an investor. We see thousands of pitches a year. We invest in less than 10, right? Thousands, we invest in less than 10. So imagine your customers with thousands of products. They are not going to buy thousands. They don't take their credit card from their pocket for all of those. How can you make sure that your product is so unique that you are going to capture that user? So at the end of the day, it's all about product. So let's not forget that we really need to have the product in the center of the organization and very much understand the user journey, the value that we are creating to those users and the way they are going to consume it. Because that is the way they are going to perceive it, right? And so that is to be obsessed with the product. And probably the second one will be to be creative. To be creative, because I can't say that a company can be successful just by offering the same type of product that other people are already offering in the market. You need to solve the problem in a different way, to help them onboard fast, to help them transfer the data, manage your data in a better way, right? So the price is not anymore a differentiating factor on this. It is the product. So be creative on that. And because of that, the, the example I gave about July is a good example of how can you use product-led strategies to grow, right? 
But there are many other examples, and that's where I would like to see the, the entrepreneurs go. It is uh, absolutely a perfect place to, to see what uh, I am doing and the other initiatives that I am supporting, and many of those are related to Notion in different areas, you will see. And our website, I mean, our domain is Notion.vc, and we will run so many different events for SaaS companies, go to market, pricing. It's, I very much recommend you to check it out. And I'm sure you will be able to, to find good content. And obviously, if you come around London or you have a SaaS business uh, looking to operate in, in Europe or looking to come to Europe, uh, please let me know. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to learning and always. Have a day.